0: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay and the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme?
2: you sit at a desk. They sit at a desk. You have sales reports. They have book reports. You need supplies. They need supplies. Business is a lot like school. That's why your small business should take advantage of back to school deals at Staples. Now, Staples 1 inch 3 ring binders are $1.92. One subject notebooks are just 25 cents, and two pocket poly folders are just 35 cents each. Make back to school your business at Staples. Install only while supplies last.
0: Offer ends
1: 9118, limit 30. Log
3: Talk Radio Hi, Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins And I represent the Finsider with the PH
1: Hey guys, it's Friday night It's Finnsider Podcast night feel like I haven't talked to you in a while This is Kevin, if you don't know who my voice by now Uh, I know it's been a couple weeks since I've been able to be on the air, either this or the Finsider TV show. So it's good to be able to come back on and talk some Dolphins football with you guys. Uh, If you're listening live, you can give us a call at 347-326-9461. That's 347-326-9461. As always, we have a live thread up on the Finsider right now. So go over to thefinsider.com and you can check out the live thread there where you can post messages and talk to everybody else who's listening to the show. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at the Finsider. is always spelled with a pH and uh, hit us up that way. We'll take questions there and get to, get to talking some dolphins' football. Uh, obviously, the big thing right now is the dolphins are on the bye week, so there's not a lot of actual in-depth dolphins' information and dolphins news coming out and all that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit of a slower week this week, which is perfectly okay, and it's something that this team desperately needed. But it does make it harder for us both posting on the FinSider and then talking here on the show to come up with new stuff to discuss. And so it, it's it's a little more difficult. It's a little, um, I guess, frustrating is probably the best way to put it. It just it, it's it's not the normal week that we're into right now. It almost feels like we're back into that May June time frame where you're just sort of sitting around waiting for news to come out. Um, I will say before we get into Dolphins talk and all that kind of stuff, the the news of the day around the NFL is obviously the horrible horrible news of Adrian Peterson's son. It is a two-year-old son who died today from injuries suffered back on Wednesday. His son was taken to the hospital. The initial call to emergency workers was that it was a choking incident, and so they got him to the hospital, and once at the hospital, it was determined that the injuries he had suffered were consistent with abuse. They arrested the mother's boyfriend, for it, allegedly for abusing him. He was charged with aggravated assault on an infant and um, aggravated assault in a domestic situation. So he was charged with those two. He's in jail. Uh, it's a $750,000 bail He's has in order to get out, but obviously they're going to relook all that now because he did die today. So it's a Completely different situation now. Obviously for Adrian Peterson and the whole family there, it takes on a whole new realm, I guess is the right word. Um, I am a father. I could never imagine this. I could not imagine what I would do or how I would react if somebody did that to my son. Um, I just – I can't I, – I can't even come up with the right words
3: to express
1: how I feel about this situation. So I just wanted to, before we do get into football and start having a little more fun, um, take a minute to just say we are thinking of Adrian Peterson. Um, It's obviously not an ideal situation. He has said he's going to play on Sunday, and good for him if that's where he needs to be if he needs to be on that field to work out, like he said, the frustration that he has, if he is able to use his Minnesota Vikings teammates as family to support him and work his way through this, because never is anybody going to be able to just go, yep, my son died. I mean, obviously, you lose a child. There is nothing like that. And so he does need the support. And right now it looks like he's going to use the Minnesota Vikings to give him that support. So good for him if he can be out there. If he determines that emotionally he can't do it, I mean, can anybody blame him? If he says he has to sit out or if he goes out there and he just falls apart, you can't blame him for that either. But it just – it's a horrible horrible situation and i can't believe that i just it's just such horrible news i mean i don't know how you uh how you i don't know how you get over that as a father i don't know how anybody will ever be able to get over that as parents or as friends and family and i i don't understand i mean this guy how do you do that to a 2-year-old child it just I don't know. It makes no sense. Um, As I'm sitting here, I'm just flipping through Twitter right now to see if anybody had commented to us on Twitter yet. And uh, it was three hours ago, but I just saw it. Jason Taylor sent out sympathy and prayers going out to you, Adrian Peterson, and your family at this very difficult and sad time. So sorry for your loss. LeBron James tweeted out earlier, and Jason Taylor retweeted it. it was so damn sad man makes no sense at all. Innocent kid with dreams get taken away from a cow by a coward with no dreams at all. Shaking my head, hashtag sick for A P. Yeah, that that's probably the best way to put it. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Um I posted on the site earlier a post about this and had a bunch of reactions from around both the NFL and around the sports world and celebrities outside of the sports world. And it, it does make you realize that this is a game and we all enjoy it each week, but that's just real life crashing its way into what should be a fun thing. And instead is just a horrible, horrible tragedy. So, um, that's what I'm going to say on that. uh, there is no way to easily transition from that to football talk again. So it is an abrupt transition, but we will go ahead and start talking Dolphin stuff. We'll start. I know where everybody's going to go. I know what the biggest conversation for today is going to be, but we're going to start with not the offensive line. So start with uh, Ryan Tannehill. I think so far through five games, Tannehill has looked really good. I, I think that there are going to be people who have issues with how long he's holding the ball, and I can't fault them for that. He does hold the ball at times too long. He admits that. He knows that's a problem. And it's something he can very easily fix. But the the problem is, and I, I don't know why they are doing this. Maybe it comes with the we don't want to get him hurt thing. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's trying to get this offensive line better, but they're actually hurting it by doing this. But clearly the team does not want Ryan Tannehill running the ball. They don't want him moving around. Now I say that, and we all hear that this week they are looking at schemes and ways to fix the um, obvious weaknesses, we'll say that the offensive line is having. So maybe Tannehill will start moving around more, but, his pocket presence and his wanting to hold that ball for that extra second or two to try to wait for Mike Wallace or Brandon Gibson or Brian Hartline to get open, that is a big part of why we are seeing this record number of sacks. So there is an issue there. Um, Other than that, though, I am impressed with Tannehill's decision-making and how he's progressing through his reads. We saw it last year that there were times where he definitely was focusing on one target, and it was causing problems. It was causing turnovers. It was causing people to be able to just ignore the entire other half of the field. And part of that also was the fact that really last year, the only wide receiver we had for the entire season was Brian Hartline because Devon Best was injured, and then they were rotating guys in and out to try to find that third and fourth wide receiver that they never found. And so Tannehill never had a chance to get comfortable with any of those guys. So it did. It became, where is Brian Hartline? Take him out of the game, and then you're stuck with everybody else and probably not going to find any of them. So this year, he's being able to... Look for, okay, get up to the line. They have safety over Mike Wallace, so uh, target number one is taken out. Um, Look to the left. Brian Hartline is over there. Oh, no, now he's covered up, so I'm coming back to the middle, and there's Charles Clay. So he is. He's progressing, and I love that about what he's doing. I do think that he needs to move more. I think that he needs to work on – the Dan Marino mobility, which obviously Dan Marino was not mobile, but he uh, he's going to slide in that pocket. He's going to take that one half step forward that somehow magically makes Marino not get sacked. That's what Tannehill needs to work on. Um, I know Alpha just posted this in uh, the live thread, maybe see Matt Moore starting, and he wrote LOL. So I know it was a joke from him, but I've actually seen that a lot lately, that Matt Moore should be starting because obviously Tannehill isn't ready to start. And I don't know why people think that. I don't know why. Why would you want your franchise quarterback to a season and a half into his career suddenly get benched because now you're shaking his confidence You're turning it over to a guy that is clearly not going to be the future of this franchise. He probably isn't going to be with this franchise next year. So a lot of people have this idea that turning the ball over to Matt Moore lets the Dolphins win now, and everything will be fine next year for Ryan Tannehill, and I think that's absolutely horrible because next year Ryan Tannehill won't be better. He has to get the experience. Now that the Dolphins are committed to him as a starter, which they did with week one of last year, he's the starter. The moment you pull him is the moment that you're saying he is no longer your franchise quarterback. And you have to leave him in there. You have to let him go out there. It's not like he's making a lot of mistakes. The fumbles and the sacks are it. He's throwing the ball well. He's making good decisions. Now, you take the Saints game into account, and, yes, he had a bunch of um interception but as a whole the team had a bunch of issues i mean it's not like he was the only one out there making mistakes so yes it is frustrating at times but really he's not having that bad a year he's over 85 percent on his passer rating he has a positive touchdown to interception ratio right now sure it's only six to five but it's still positive um He's let's see, we're five games into the season. So he's at what 4, yards, forty four forty five forty five hundred yards? for a little over forty four hundred yards passing on pace for. So I don't really know that he's the issue. And I know, like I said, I know Alpha, you're you're not serious on it, but I do know there are a lot of people that, for whatever reason, have that as an idea, that Matt Moore is the answer. And the reason the Dolphins have Matt Moore is to, one, teach Tannehill, and two, in case Tannehill gets injured. At the rate he's going and getting sacked, maybe he is going to get injured, and maybe we will end up having to see Matt Moore. But seeing Matt Moore on the field is absolutely the last thing Dolphin fans should want to see. That's not in indictment of Moore at all. Matt Moore is a good quarterback, and I have no problems with him if he is in there, but if he is put in there, then the the season is over because Tannehill is the quarterback of this team. Matt Moore could go in there and win, and sure, we can make the playoffs, but it's going to be something bad down the line, so I, I don't want to see Matt Moore, and that's my on the Matt Moore issue um I'm thinking of I'm trying to think of ways that the Dolphins and Alpha asked this would an extra lineman on Elf offense help um I know that James Walker the ESPN or not AFC East blogger anymore Miami Dolphins blogger um I know that he wrote this about offensive linemen, and the Dolphins should rotate uh, Nate Garner and Danny Watkins in 10, 15 plays a game to try to give some of the guys a break. I absolutely hate that idea. I, I absolutely 100% hate that idea. You don't rotate offensive linemen. If you have to put an offensive lineman in there during the game, then somebody should be hurt because. You, the offensive line has to have chemistry to the point that when Mike Pouncey snaps the ball, he knows without looking where Richie Incognito and John Jerry are. He has to have that sense. And now you're suddenly throwing Danny Watkins in there instead of John Jerry or Nate Garner instead of Richie Incognito, and obviously they don't have the snaps together. So if you're going to change the starting lineup, that's something completely different. But you don't rotate guys during games. I hate that idea. Uh, Every other position you can do that on. I I got it. But that offensive line, that chemistry between those guys has to be there. And rotating guys, I I really don't like it. Now, I'm going to assume Alpha's question was not that specifically. I think his question is going with an unbalanced line and putting an extra tackle onto the field, basically. And very much so, that could be an answer. You could end up seeing Dallas Thomas, Nate Garner, uh, Danny Watkins, Will Yeatman, one of those guys showing up on the offensive line more and more. And we've seen it already some with Nate Garner going in there, lining up as a tight end. And everybody knows he's not a tight end. He's not going to go out for a pass. He's there to be that extra blocker. Um, The other thing is, and we've we've really gotten into the offensive line, which I was going to say for later, but we may as well go head on into it now. Um, the other thing that I, I think that we have to remember is it's not always the offensive line. I know 24 sacks looks horrible and you immediately think that the offensive line is all screwed up. But when you look at it, it does go back to Tannehill holding the ball. How many times have we seen Lamar Miller or Daniel Thomas just absolutely whiff on a block? Um, the the tight ends aren't blocking as well as they probably should. Charles Clay and uh, and um, Deion Sims and Michael Agnew, just not blocking as well as they probably should. So that is a big part of why you are going to see issues with the offensive line. Uh, we We all automatically assume it's the offensive line, and rightfully so on some of it, but we also don't know the coverage scheme. We don't know the plan. And Obviously there is a weakness there, but they need to figure this out. Um, everybody loves to scream up and down about this zone blocking scheme and how it's not working, but at the same time it's not something that you can just immediately go, eh, forget about it. Let's let's change it. Because it's a scheme that they have worked on for over a year now. And sure, some of these guys are not typical designed zone-blocking scheme, guys, but that's what this team is, so these guys either have to step up or they're going to fail, and right now, we're seeing the fail. There's not an easy solution. You cannot just suddenly go, hey, everything that we worked on for all of the off-season, all of training camp, all of the preseason, the first five weeks of the year, forget it. Just dump it. We're going to do this now, because now these guys – That are playing well Are going to get out there And the the calls are going to be different And they're going to end up Messing that up So suddenly you're going to see Mike Pouncey doing one thing While Richie Incognito next to him Is doing something else And those two guys have been really good this year And suddenly They're going to both mess something up And all of a sudden Vince Wilfork is going to walk up the middle Of the huge hole That's left there And I know Wilfork isn't going to do it Because he's out but um, you're just going to see somebody just walk up to Tannehill and knock him down. And that, that that's my issue with this idea of the zone blocking scheme being the problem. I don't think it is. Now, that being said, coaches have to put their guys in position to succeed. And you have to coach the players you have. Because everybody's immediately going to go, oh, this is Jeff Ireland's fault for not getting the talent. At what point do we say, hey, coaches, this is the talent you have, coach them. So there is a give and take there. And can they do some things that are not necessarily zone blocking? Yes. They could slowly input power blocking into the system. And by the end of the year, they could be completely non-zone blocking. But a lot of people don't also don't understand what a zone blocking scheme is, so they're up in arms over. Oh my God, the zone blocking scheme doesn't work, but they don't really know what they're talking about. So th- there are a lot of issues. We don't see it, and um, I know Kevin Coyle was asked about it this week. That what do the <clears throat> excuse me, what do the guys at Pro Football Focus, who's getting a lot of exposure all of a sudden? What are those guys, how much do you take into that? And he, he said, I don't. I don't look at it. Now, supposedly the Dolphins do have an account there, and they do see it. And I think they said it's something like 50% or something like that of the teams have accounts with pro football focus. So the teams do see it. I think those guys do a good job, but it's not 100%. Because Those guys don't know the scheme. They don't know the calls. They don't know if Rashad Jones is standing there next to the guy who caught the 20-yard pass. Was Rashad Jones supposed to be guarding that guy, or did he realize somebody else missed their assignment, so he tried to get over there? We don't know. Same thing for the line. The line they probably get a little bit better on than the secondary, but it's still not always exact. So we uh we we see these things and we react but you have to assume the coaches know more and the coaches it's it's not i've seen a lot of places that um that Joe Philbin is stubborn and that this coaching regime is stubborn and they're going to continue to do what they think is right and it doesn't matter whether it works or not. These guys aren't dumb. They didn't get to be a head coach and an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator in the NFL because they went, you know what, my way works, and even if it doesn't, I'm going to stick with it. They're not dumb. They're going to put themselves in the position to win. You don't win, you get fired. They don't want to get fired. So they're going to do everything they can. This week, they can do some of those changes. We can see some of that power blocking come in. We can see, hey, Lamar Miller needs to be in the backfield more, or Lamar Miller needs to be used in screen passes more, or Daniel Thomas needs to be in there because he's the better pass blocker, and those kinds of things. You can see those things happen this week. But don't expect this team to come out in week seven and be a completely different team because it doesn't work that way. You have to look at it like this. The team is not even there right now, okay? Everybody's been given whatever it is, five days off, whatever it actually comes out to, because that's what the CBA says they will have. They have to have this time off. So while Tannehill has said he's going to go in and work on film stuff, there are guys that are taking many vacations.
3: Because
1: that's what their bodies need. I'm sure these guys took their iPads with them, and they're sitting there studying, and they're getting messages, and they're talking all the time. But it's not like everybody's still hanging around, and they can go in and go do a practice. That's not the way the buy works. So it's it's a lot of issues that we expect from the buy, but we do, we can't actually see um i'm I'm scrolling through the live thread now uh blunt trauma said the zone blocking thing uh hopefully i talked on that um jason scott Tannehill doesn't have much experience at quarterback he needs to get better at sidestepping and avoiding the pressure the numbers tell me the number of hits are not that bad but he's getting a lot of sacks he needs to get smarter at making plays and stepping out of pressure right now it seems like every time he moves he's stepping right into the pressure i agree with that on some level jason scott the Every time he moves, he steps into the pressure. That's true. The issue I see, though, is there's nowhere to step. There are a lot of times where he could step up, but there are a lot of times where if he sidesteps to the right, there's a guy there. If he sidesteps to the left, there's a guy there. So, it, it, yes and no. I, I agree to some degree, but there are times where there's just nowhere for him to go. I mean, the play, everybody got upset at the play where he held the ball and took the sack straight into the middle, but when you watch the play, Richie Incognito is standing right in the middle of the line of scrimmage with nobody in front of him, turning back to look at Tannehill getting sacked. I mean, at what point do we go, yeah, he could have, but so there are a lot of issues. There are a lot of problems. There are a lot of things that need to be fixed, but that said, I don't think it's something that can't be fixed. I think this offensive line, by the end of the year, is going to be better than what they are right now. Um, I think that the panic button is right there, but we don't need to be banging on it yet. Because they, if, if they were as bad as it seems like they are, we would see it for entire games. We would see nothing happening. But there are stretches in every game where they are blocking well. Now, the bad outweighs the good, but they are able to do it. So something has to change. They have to fix something. But he is very good, or it is good at times. Uh, People are on Tannehill and says he has no awareness, but he had it last year and looked really good when being pressured. Someone says that the coaches are telling him not to run so much so he doesn't get hurt or something. That That's kind of what I was talking about earlier, blunt trauma. Uh, for whatever reason, whether it's Tannehill making this decision, whether it's the coaching staff making this decision, somebody has said, we want to be a pocket passer. They want Marino. They want him staying in the pocket and throwing like that. And that's not Tannehill's game. Um, it's the same thing we're seeing with, RG3, somebody is saying you are a pocket passer, and he's not necessarily a pocket passer. Okay, Tannehill does not, and Jason Scott says this. Tannehill does not need to learn to stay in the pocket and sidestep out of pressure. Tannehill needs to learn how to be an NFL quarterback. If he needs to move around and throw the ball on the run, let him move around and throw the ball on the run. Okay, Steve Young had a pretty good career being a mobile quarterback. I'm fairly certain that worked out pretty well for him. Um, You don't have to be Peyton Manning or Tom Brady standing still in the middle of the field and throwing the ball. You can move. Obviously, it is a talking point that when you roll out, you take away half the field because Tannehill said it, uh, Sherman has said it, and Philbin has said it. So, obviously, that is a talking point within the club right now that – Rolling out takes away half the field. And I think that part of that is they don't want to take away part, or half the field when you have the weapons we have. If he can find a way to sidestep and get that extra beat, get that extra second, then odds are somebody's going to come open because Mike Wallace, Brian Hartline, Brandon Gibson, Charles Clay, those guys are not somebody you can easily stay with for six seconds. Somebody's going to get open. The problem is right now, Tannehill can't stand back there for six seconds. Right now, he's standing back there two seconds and getting hit. So, yes and no, he does need to learn to stay in the pocket and sidestep out of pressure if he's going to be that kind of um, passer. But I don't think that's what he is. He needs to be somebody who can move. He needs to be somebody who can make that roll out. Move the pocket; those kinds of things. And yes, it takes away half the field. So run routes that designed that get guys onto that half of the field, and you'll be able to see uh, you'll be able to see things that are going to work well. Um, Claybo's up; Quinch brings him up. I don't know what's going on with Claybo. Um, the the, the Claybo started slowly last year, too, and then he came around and had a very good year. It was not this slowly, so the Dolphins may have missed on that. And, I mean, it's bound to happen. If you're going to assume that Brent Grimes is going to be available every year and you're going to find that free agent that shows he shouldn't have been released, you have to also assume that there are going to be free agents that just don't work. And that may be Clabo this year. He may turn it on here in the second half of the season and show that he is still a viable right tackle. Uh, Personally, I'm not against benching him, putting him as a reserve, moving John Jerry over to right tackle, or putting Nate Garner at right tackle. And if you put Jerry there, put Garner or Watkins or Dallas Thomas in at right guard or switching incognito in somebody. So I'm not against benching Claybo, but I will say he did start slowly last year and he did come on. I don't know if he's going to do that this year, but he did do that last year. Klebo um, is not Colombo 2.0. Jason Scott has that on there right now that he called it. He is not Colombo 2.0. We have forgotten how bad Colombo is if we're going to say Claybo is Colombo 2.0. Colombo couldn't block anybody. Anybody. There's a reason why um, Anthony Fazano's stats that year were horrible, horrible, because that's the only thing that the team could do was put Fazano there as a tackle next to the tackle. We're not having to do that with Claybo. Claybo is able to. Um, Claybo is able to block. This team can block they do it for spurts during each game but they aren't great at it they aren't going to be stellar throughout the game there are going to be times where they have bad moments the issue is right now they have to minimize those bad moments and they're not doing that yet so i don't i completely don't think that claybo is Colombo 2.0 we 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 love to come up with these oh my god, this guy is falling, this guy is garbage. How many times do we hear that? We heard it, Rashad Jones is having, a, or is regressing and is the worst regression on this team, and then he went out and had the interception for a touchdown, and then everybody stopped saying that. Nolan Carroll is garbage until he's not in there, and suddenly everybody's going, we need him back. John Jerry was garbage until he wasn't in there in the preseason, and everybody wanted him back. Now that he's back in there, he's garbage again. So, we we love to have these I called this moment and I said this earlier and we love to call people garbage because we think that they are having bad games. I don't know how many times Nolan Carroll has been called garbage. Nolan Carroll is having a very, very good year. People just don't realize it. They they have this running storyline on him that he's garbage. He has been his whole career. and We all just need to realize that he should be cut and never be seen again. He is currently, by Pro Football Focus's grading system, which we talked about a little while ago, he's the 26th best cornerback in the league. We have the 6th best and the 26th best cornerbacks in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. That's not a garbage player. That's not a garbage player. Given that every team has at least two starters, 32 teams, You have at least 64 starters. Nolan Carroll is 26th. So that's not a garbage player. Currently they have 103 uh, ranked cornerbacks. Nolan Carroll is 26th. So we get these ideas in our head that this guy is garbage or that guy can't play, and we never get off of it. Now, that being said, Claybo has been a disappointment, like I said. But Could he turn it on? He could. He is, according to Pro Football Focus, he is having a miserable year. He's 61st out of 70 right now that they have ranked. So he is having a miserable year. He's a negative 8.8 according to their scale. Um, He's had one positive game at .2 against Indianapolis. Everything else has been negative. He's had a negative 3.8, a negative 3, a negative 1.9, and a negative .3. He's been negative except for one game in pass blocking, and he's been right around zero most of the time in run blocking. He had one really bad game against
3: the Browns
1: and one pretty bad game against the Falcons. But he's not – he's allowed six um, sacks this year, okay? I I completely agree. That's probably a little too many
2: because he's –
1: He's brought in to be the starting right tackle. But he's struggling. If you take into account how this team would be otherwise, with um, Jake Long at left tackle, Jake Long has given up three sacks and 15 quarterback hurries this year. Clabo has six sacks and 13 quarterback hurries. So he's given up more hurries or more sacks, but it's not like Jake Long is out there dominating the NFL, which is what we would have otherwise. We'd have Long and Martin. So we we have this grand idea that, oh, my God, we missed Jake Long. We screwed this all up. But is it really as bad as we think it is? Now, again, I go back to, yes, 24 sacks is ridiculous. They have to fix this. They have to fix this. But it's not completely broken. They have they have looked good at times. They need to get that to be the standard, not look good at times but look bad at times. Look good most of the time and have a few stretches where maybe they are bad. Right now we are bad with some stretches where we look good. So they need to turn that around. Um, Jason Scott says Lamar Miller needs to catch the ball And learn to block Daniel Thomas needs to never see the field again Big Ben should be our change of pace back Or throw him in there if we really need someone That can catch pass I know people hate Daniel Thomas And it's all over the place Daniel Thomas has a role on this team I hate to tell this to you Daniel Thomas absolutely 100% has a role on this team He needs to carry the ball At times Because he has a role on this team Daniel Thomas pass blocks a lot better than Lamar Miller and he should be able to pick up those yards. The issue is not Daniel Thomas. The issue is um the issue is not Daniel Thomas per se. The issue is the run system is bad. So you have these um grand plays where we're running a stretch run to Daniel Thomas. That's not Daniel Thomas' strength. Daniel Thomas does not need to be running a stretch play. Daniel Thomas needs to be put in the eye and told, follow that guy. Whether that's Charles Clay, Deion Sims, Michael Agnew, a fullback that they magically bring in from out of nowhere, something. He needs to be told, follow him. And he can do that, and he can do that well. But when you put him into a stretch play on third and one, where's he going to go? You have an offensive line that isn't blocking well, and you're asking your slower running back to run a stretch play. Lamar Miller wouldn't have gotten that, but somehow we think Daniel Thomas would have. And then when he gets tackled behind the line, we say Daniel Thomas is garbage. I don't want him getting 15 carries a game. I don't want him getting 10 carries a game. But he should be getting five to seven carries a game, and the main reason is so that he can be in there to pass block, and there's still a threat of him running the ball. I don't think Daniel Thomas is complete garbage. I know a lot of people do. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Duke right now because he is now joining the show, and ask Duke, what are your thoughts on Daniel Thomas? Because I know you heard part of my rant. Um, we can do better. I I don't disagree with that. We can. But I think that he does have a role with this
3: team. I think the issue is that Lamar Miller is not, he's not the, uh, he doesn't have what it takes, I don't think, to be a full a uh, three-down back. And, and, and because it's not so much the pass protection issue as much as he's not a guy that's going to run with a lot of power. So I don't think he's a back back. I just don't think he is a... uh you know, I think he, he needs to have a, a guy who can compliment him a little bit. Uh, and Daniel Thomas, though, he has had some good runs this year, and it looks like he's running for a little more power. He just isn't completely a power back. So right. So if you had a guy like that that can come in and, you know, grind out those tough, tough short yards, Um Things like that, the thing that'll help out. It's just that Thomas isn't doing that, and Miller. I don't think is the type of it's the type of back that can can carry the the slack there. Yeah, exactly.
1: I I absolutely agree with you. Um, we could do better. We could upgrade that position. I have zero doubt on that. But given that the team is not is not making a move, there are not a lot of running backs out there that are going to suddenly come in and upgrade that position. You could go get somebody like Kevin Smith off the street right now. He, he could be that power back. He can run like that, but he's also incredibly injury-prone, and he may not be somebody you want to put any money into. So there are options, but I think that Daniel Thomas, with the team the way it is, has a role. You take him out of that game, you're going to see it, it's going to hurt the team. You 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 bench him, and you do you put somebody like Marcus Stigpin in there. Marcus Stigpin isn't a change of pace back. He's he, he he's Lamar Miller. I mean, he he gives you a little bit of more options. He has better hands than Lamar Miller, and Lamar Miller is a better runner than Marcus Stigpin. But they're the same guy. I mean, he's going to give you that speed to get around the end, just like Lamar Miller does um Gillisley is somebody who everybody talks about come in he's a pass protection guy and he could be the power back maybe he can be one day but clearly the team has not seen something from him they don't make players inactive because they're they're good and we're just trying to hide them they're, they're he's not making plays he's not picking up the scheme he, something he is doing is making it so the team does not want him on the field. And I don't know what that is. And he's a rookie. I mean, it, it could be anything. Look at how much Lamar or uh, Michael Agnew was fried last year for not being able to get on the field. Yet this year he's out there, he's only taking 10, 15 maybe snaps a game at the most. But he's out there, and he's making a contribution both in blocking and in pass catching. We automatically assume a rookie comes into the NFL ready to play, and they don't. Some of them need time to develop. Some of them need time even as first-round picks to develop. So the the running back issue I I don't think is really an issue like we think it is. I think it's the Dolphins are a pass-first team, so we're not going to see as many runs as we think we will, and the offensive line does not open up holes like we want them to yet. So we, we aren't going to see 25 carries a game from Lamar Miller and 10 carries a game from Daniel Thomas. We're simply not running the ball that many times. We're going to pass it that many times and let Ryan Tannehill's right arm go out there and get it. Think about it like this. We're back in the Dan Marino days. We are a pass first team. After the Wanstatt, or the Jimmy Johnson, Dave Wonstadt, Tony Sperano era, where we're gonna be a run first team and we're gonna pound this ball up the middle. We're back to the other side where we are a pass first team like we were with Jimmy Johnson or Jimmy Johnson, wow, I'm sorry. Like we were with Don Shula and Dan Marino. Let let that develop. The run game will come. Now, do we need to run the ball more? I think we do because we aren't running it enough for the play action to have any effect. We have to run the ball a little bit more so that the play action can be there because the play action makes a linebacker stop and lets Mike Wallace get down the field. And that's why we need to run the ball more. We don't need to run the ball 35 times. I don't care if Lamar Miller has 50 yards a game. As long as it's enough. To let the passing
3: game win, I think the miami's running backs are are dependent upon the offense line for for how well they run um, I like lamar Miller. If you watch how he plays he he's very good that when he finds when he finds the hole there uh he he can hit that hit that scene and go he doesn't. He doesn't dance in the backfield. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's, he's got a very quick thought process and he makes the decisions quick and goes with it. You watch how he plays, you know, he, he's a guy, and you know, McCauley's so fast he can get five yards without thinking about it. What we don't have is a guy who can generate those two to three yard kind of runs when there's there's not much opening there. We don't have a guy who, you know, a, a lot of people want to talk about, you know, you look at what Daniel Thomas does, he, he has a low average. But the reason he has a low average is not because he's, you know, grinding out his tough yards, it's because he, he, he'll he have a good run and he'll just get stopped. We don't have a guy that can, on the offensive line, cannot generate a, a you know, a big enough running lane that they can, they can run into the, the defense. Keep their legs turning and pick up two or three yards that way. Um, and I know that sounds kind of weird, but every team you know, needs a back like that. They can, you know. Yep. Let's say we have a guy like Trent Richardson. Um, if you watch how he plays, he can get hit in the backfield, but he he seems like he just falls down and gets three yards because he he just he, he has that kind of power that he can generate there. If Miami has a back like that, to where the, the when in the moments when the offensive line doesn't open up enough holes, that they can, they can generate a few yards and, and and get something out of nothing. Right now, what we're doing is we have facts that when the opportunity's there, they get yards out of it. And you watch Daniel Thomas, when, when there is a, a rushing line, he can get five or six yards or more points there, but we don't have a guy that can, yeah. can make stuff happen on their own. You know I've seen a lot of fans gonna talk about oh we we should have kept Reggie Bush, but Reggie Bush is the same type of guy
0: um I mean,
3: maybe now at you know, this point in his career, he can run with a little more power, but he's not a guy that's gonna you know fall into the pile and, and just pick up your artist by track his legs. He's a guy that um you know he can he can make things happen when there's a when there's a scene or something there, but he doesn't you know necessarily a guy that's just gonna Keep, keep the chains moving by, by running him, you know, up the middle a lot. Uh, I, I think he right. would still struggle behind the, this offensive line because of the type of runner. He would, he would, you know, do well as a receiver out of the backfield, which I think that's something that we lack. I mean, if you watch Daniel Thomas play, he can catch the ball well out of the backfield. It's not very fast, uh, but it does, right. have, it does have some looseness, um, believe it or not. And Miller, though he has great you know great straight line speed, is not an elusive guy. He's not a guy who's gonna make people miss or rejuke a lot of people. Um right. I don't we've well, only seen Big Ten very little, but as a return guy you think he'd have a little more move, so it's possible that he he could do something like that. So I think Bush would help in that area. But what Miami needs and I think there's a guy out there right now that they could go after if they were willing to trade. And that's Maurice Jones-Drew. I think, yep. you know, I don't want to give up assets to a guy, especially an older running back. Um, you don't know how many years he's got left. He's just coming off an injury last year. He was injured this year, I believe, a little bit. But he's a guy that can make something happen out of nothing. He's a guy that can catch the ball well out of the backfield. And if, if you, I think he would help the stable of backs tremendously if you were if if they were intent on less win this year we can do it. Uh and they could get they could get it at a decent price. I think that would be a move you could see them make just to help fix what's going on in the running game. Uh and I think he would be a welcome addition. And I wouldn't him uh go back there and do some damage. And there's one thing that I want to Bring up that I that I heard you say you were talking about the offense final earlier. <laughs> yeah. it, when you're talking about the number of sacks that, that that Tannehill takes, it's not a cumulative result of you know lots of pressures. Uh, yeah. In in the Baltimore game, Tannehill sacked six times. That sounds like a great deal, and if you take it. If you compare that to a relative amount of pressure for dropback, you think that the, the guy has, you know, a, not a lot of time to throw every single play, and that's not the case. He dropped back to pass forty-six times, and he was pressured on only seventeen of them. So that's less than half, but he was still sacked six times. Now right. you think, well, maybe that's all on Tannehill, but you know, I, and I put up that post this week that, you know, if you look at kind of the situation, it, it's not that those sacks were all on Tannehill.
2: Some would say they are,
3: but but in my opinion, it's not that the, the offensive line is just getting beaten all the time. It's that when they do when they do get beat, they fail miserably. So you may have, um, for example, in, in one play, they get beat, Tannehill gets sacked. On the very next play, we get a 45 or 40-something yard pass by the Charles Clay. I mean, so they go from being confident and a good offensive line on one line and horrible the next. It's you know if they can just play consistently, you know, well and, and limit those pressures, then I think we'll be fine. And even if they do give up the pressures, if if they just don't fail so badly in those instances where, you know, maybe they do give up a pressure, but but more like the, that one, the, the fourth down play where there was pressure. But Sandhill was able to get out of the pocket, run around, it, and makes what I've read and what I would even consider possibly the best throw of his career um, to uh, to Brandon Gibson, who I thought should stay on his feet um, after watching it. But anyway, it's not a hint or there, but you know, I will say on that play, tonight,
1: the fact that Canhill stopped, reset his feet because he is run, scrambling to his left. He stopped, turned completely back to reset his feet and throw that ball. That's not something you would have seen him do last year. He would have used all arm strength and tried to whip that ball down there. He may have been able to do it, but I think that's something completely different, and that's something where we do see all of his work on footwork come in because he realized, I've got to reset my feet, and that was was the part that impressed me the most, was him stopping, turning, and getting those feet reset to step into that throw.
3: One thing that I read a lot going into going into the draft regarding Tannehill is the fact that is that when a lot of quarterbacks throw on the run, um, they their their mechanics for that uh, you know get all whacked. They don't right, you know, and, and you know bad things can happen about him is that why he's so good on the run is he has very good mechanics while throwing on the run. He's very good at setting his shoulders and getting his body turned the way it needs to 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 throw on the run. And what makes that throw even more impressive is the more you watch it is he's a right handed quarterback. Right handed quarterbacks can throw well throwing going to the right. That's the natural yeah. motion. He was going throwing to his left. So it would be different if he threw it and there was a lot of a lot of you know, uh, yards after after catch on this, but it wasn't. He rolls out, throws a, a a forty plus yard dart through the air, running to his left. That was perfectly placed. Gibson jumps for the ball, but he didn't really have to. Um, I mean, we were still in position to do some this, but if he had. He sat on his feet, He at worst gets another seven to eight yards out of it, possibly even scores. Now, imagine if he scores a touchdown on that play. How does that not make, you know, the top plays of the week or something? I mean, that would be amazing. So, in my opinion, there are probably three to four quarterbacks in the NFL right now that can make that throw that Tannehill did. And I'm I'm, going to go out on a limb and go, at least at this point in their careers, I don't think that's a throw that Peyton Manning or Tom Brady can make. Um, I've heard something, I mean, real quick,
1: um, I've heard something this week that I, I find actually really funny. Peyton Manning at this point in his career is the quarterback Chad Pennington wanted to be his whole life. He He's not the strongest armed quarterback anymore, but he he does the middle to short throws so much better than everybody else. And that's what Chad Pennington did. But obviously – He is the rich man's Chad Pennington. So I I think that's a great analogy to what Peyton Manning is right now. Um, We are right about halfway through the show, a little more, I guess. We're almost an hour into the show. Uh, Just reset. I'm Kevin. Duke's with me. Uh, This is the FinCider Podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can tweet to us at the FinCider. You can check us out on Blog Talk Radio. We always have a live thread up on the and the insider is always spelled with a PH. So check us out in all those different ways, and you can keep up with the show. You can jump in with uh, questions on Twitter or in the live thread, and let us know what you guys want to talk about. Um, Duke Blunt Trauma says, You sound a little under the weather, man, and hope you get to feeling better. And you do sound kind of sick, so I, too, echo those thoughts. I hope you feel a little better. Is that? That was Blunt Trauma who said that. Um. I don't think I'm under the weather. No, you do you sound um congested or allergies.
3: Um, I'm actually reading through my nose pretty good. It it may just be a uh yeah, I don't know, maybe it's just the way my phone is or something. i I have had some allergy issues, but I think they went away earlier in the week, so I'm not I'm feeling okay at the moment. Well, that's good.
1: Um
3: Jason Scott says
1: MJD is exactly the kind of complimentary back we need. I completely agree with that. If we had MJD as a second back, he he would be an upgrade over um, Daniel Thomas. I don't see the team spending the draft pick it would take to get him. I think that the team wants to hold on to their draft picks because they don't have all the extra like they did last year where we had, what did we have, 13 or something like that going into the draft, 11 maybe?
3: going into the draft he
1: came out with nine. So, that's uh I, I don't think they would make that trade, but I do agree that uh that MJD would be a good option behind Lamar Miller. Um switching gears real quick or not real quick, but just to talk about a little bit a little AFC East news since we are in the Dolphins by weeks. Uh the Jets found out today that Kelvin Winslow is suspended for four games
3: due to the PED use. It
1: Will not impact the team in the sense that um, he sits out the Dolphins game because the Dolphins don't play the Jets for another seven weeks. So go figure that one out. How do we not play the Jets for seven more weeks? But it will obviously impact them over the next four weeks. The Jets are tied right now with the Dolphins for second in the AFC East, one game behind the Patriots. So it definitely helps the Dolphins that he's going to be out for four weeks. Um, he has become the safety blanket, the safety valve, the security blanket for Geno Smith. So that, that is a big loss for the Jets. Um Every time I say it, I want to say Dustin Keller because I'm so used to him being the tight end for the Jets. But Kellen Winslow is apparently out for four weeks for PED use. So that's uh, bad for the
3: Jets. It's not so bad for the Dolphins. Um, Well, and there's a lot of injury concerns going around both teams. And if you really look at it, I mean, for the most part, the Dolphins are the healthier of the – up the four teams in the AFC East, in terms yep. of losing our key players, I saw a Ben Bolin tweet today that says something about that uh, the fact that Gronkowski's forearm is not yet cleared for contact five months after surgery is a bit disconcerting. Um, yep, that you know that that's something they that thought well he would miss you know some preseason maybe a game or two and he's already missed. Uh, what will be six games this year, because it looks like that he's going to be out again, possibly. So, yep, you know, that was my
1: other AFC there. news.
3: Um, I mean, our biggest injury so far is Cameron Wake, and it's not, that's not a, it wasn't something overly critical. Although it, it's possibly he could have re-injured this past game. Uh, it's not something that I think is going to keep him out, um Past the bye week, I mean, I think he's going to be back against Buffalo. Um, uh, for Buffalo, you have uh, injuries to uh, you had injuries to their quarterback, which is going to hurt their offense. And I think that's going to be a giant help to Miami because you know we're getting Fad Lewis instead of EJ Manuel. Not that yep. EJ Manuel is necessarily a guy that would worry you, but he is. The best option they have at quarterback, and he was playing when well. When you're
1: starting, when you're starting your practice squad quarterback, yeah, that's uh,
3: that, that's I mean, not a good situation. It, it's, <laughs> it's basically the equivalent. I look at it of that Thursday night game, in which uh, Tyler Figpen started. Um, it, it's not something that you're looking forward to. Now that I mean, for all we you know, Thad Lewis comes out and dominates. You know, I'm I I'm, I'm mocking my chances against against him with Kevin Coyle's defense and what we've got going on back there. Especially now that the linebackers are starting to play a little bit better with Wheeler and Misi coming around, um, and the secondary if those guys can, you know, with Carroll, if 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 Patterson can get back and I think that I've read that he should be able to come back by then, then you've got I was continuing that Carroll starting simply because he's playing well. I mean, he's played surprisingly well. He was a guy that most people would have hit. You know, if his fans had been able to run the team, right. he would have been cut. And yet he yep. is rated very highly by pro football focus. If you, He had that one penalty, which from everything I've read, it became a judgment call. He had his arm kind of behind the receiver. It didn't look like that he caused the receiver. It forced him to... Uh, it offered his ability to catch the ball, but it was a judgment called by the official. So whatever on that one. But aside from that, I thought he played well last week. Um, yep. But, and then with, with with the Jets, you know, you're talking about with uh, Winslow. And then I, I saw tonight on ESPN that it's, uh, that Crow Marty is questionable with a knee injury. Uh, that yeah, was he, really had a
1: he had a non-contact injury in practice. Um, they had feared it was going to be worse. It turns out it's a hyperextension, so it's not as bad as they had first feared and not as bad as you normally think when you hear non-contact injuries,
3: but, yeah, he's definitely, uh, definitely questionable at best right now. So, I mean, you know, all these teams, all these teams are hurting, um, and, and interestingly enough, across the AFC East, is they're getting good quarterback play for the most part. Um, I mean, EJ Manuel was not playing bad before he got hurt. Geno Smith has played, had good moments and bad moments. I mean, last the other night he looked he looked like a, a champion, you know, playing against the, the Atlanta Falcons. But I, I believe I mentioned on the live thread that. Um, this is the same defense that Tannehill just marched down the field and, and looked like a boss against against them. Right. So, in my opinion, I think there's it's more telling that uh, about Atlanta's defense than it is about necessarily the two quarterbacks. Uh, however, Gina Smith—he's—he's he's, you know he's a rookie, so he's going to have those games where he comes up and plays well and and, and plays uh, and then has other games where he plays bad, but. Um, as sad as it may seem, the, the Jets may have a, a decent quarterback on their hands. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know necessarily they're, they're a team that can contend this year. Their defense is good enough to. I just don't think that the offense is going to be consistent enough. I mean, when you're relying on guys like Clyde Gates, um, to to get lots of significant minutes, I think that you know you're going to be limited there. But, um. I think, you know, if he continues to develop like that, that this division is going to be, you know, is it going to be a, at least a three-horse race. It's not a four-horse race, depending on, depending on manual, uh, for uh, at least the foreseeable future until Brady drops out and then, you know, whatever happens there. But I think, it, you know, uh, I believe Brian Hartline said on uh, NFL AM this week that, uh, I believe all of these teams in the division feel that this division is wide open. That you know, he says the division runs to the Patriots because they've owned the division for the last ten or so years, and you have to approach it with that mentality. But at the same time, it's not one of those years where where the teams in this division think, well, we can play for a wild card. That they believe they can go out and, and contend for a division division championship because they think the Patriots are all perhaps a little weaker. Um, and, you know, the first team the Patriots really have faced that was, uh, I think that, that was a, a really good team, um, had, they lost it. So um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, especially now that Miami's going to be getting into division play.
1: Yeah, finally. Man, seems it, it. it almost seems like a college schedule this year where we played a bunch of teams outside the division, and now we're finally getting to the conference schedule with the, divi- the conference first division for college and pros, obviously. But it just it seems kind of weird that we have yet to play a division game. Um, you touched on it, and it is something that I wanted to bring up tonight. But going into the Ravens game and the two injuries that sustained during the Ravens game, the Dolphins' injuries right now are Demetri Patterson, Nolan Carroll, Daniel Ellerby, Koa Misi, Jason Trusnick, Jonathan Farini, Don Jones, Paul Solii, Brandon Gibson. So as much as it seems like this bye week was way too early, this team needed this bye week. And when it's something we never think about as fans because we look at it as it's week six. But the coaches all pointed out this is game 10 for this team. Now, granted, in preseason game four or five, the team didn't play a lot of the starters or most of the starters. I think Randy Starks was the only one on defense, maybe, and John Jerry was, like, one of the only ones on offense, something like that. But uh, it's not like they played those full games, those first five, but we are ten weeks into this season even though it's only week six. And that doesn't count the first week of the training camp. That was a week before that first game. And so you're you're or two weeks before that first game. So you are. You're, you're seeing a really long training camp preseason into the start of the season. So when you look at it that way, this bye week is not that bad. Um, it obviously is not bad when you do go through Patterson, Carroll, Eller, Messi. Trosnick, Freeney, Jones, Soliai, Gibson, and the guy who I forgot to say in that because I don't have him on the list because he was written up in the start is, of course, Wake. So, obviously, this team needed this bye week to get healthy. Um, that is a huge part of what's going to make or break this season is do these guys get healthy? I I, I kind of agree with you that Carroll starting is not really that bad an idea. Um, leave him in there as the starter Because Patterson plays the nickel anyway. If he's back, he slides in to be the nickel guy. So Carroll comes in as the third cornerback but plays the boundary while uh, Patterson slides inside. So you're really not changing anything. You're just not putting Patterson out there in two wide receiver sets. So it's not that bad an idea, and it probably is something the team will at least consider because Carroll has been playing really well. Um,
3: I mean, it's not, and I, I don't want to give, i don't want people to think that that get the wrong impression. of it. I mean, he's not being like a shutdown guy. I mean, he's not going out right. there and being like, "Wow, this guy's—you know—nobody can catch the ball on him." But if you'd have said um, before the preseason started that Nolan Carroll would be starting and logging in significant minutes as a cornerback, this far into the season, most people would have been like. Oh uh, crap are screwed, kind of mentalities because he, he he's at times has not been consistent, and Omar Kelly has said that he he's a guy who practices really well. It has just never translated to the field, and now really? it's starting to translate to, to to the field on game day. That what, what they're seeing in practice um, is that he he's a guy, and, and even this this week I believe after he was hurt there was still one play where he was draped all over a receiver and, and got a pass break up or something. And he just kind of it, – it took him a while to get up off the field because he was still hurting. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, he he was still out there attempting to make plays. And when you, when you consider that the next guy up is Jamar mm-hmm. Taylor, and while he's a second-round pick and his talent, that number one he's a rookie corner, and rookie corners always get picked on. I don't care who who's out there because they're just – Right. They're rookie corners, and they're going to struggle. And so he missed most of training camp and preseason with injuries. So uh, he, he's not having the practice time out there required. Um, although, you know, I watched him in, in against New Orleans when they gave up the touchdown to Jimmy Graham, and I watched it and watched it. And, and I'll just be honest about it. If Jimmy Graham was six one instead of six six and not Jimmy Graham, then... He 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 played the pass about as well as he could for being a guy five eleven. Uh, so going up, you know, yep. he, he had a disadvantage there, and plus the fact That's that Jimmy Graham is just a beast at going up for that. I'm not going to hold that against Jamar Taylor. Now in this game, I think he got picked on a little bit more, uh, and 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 made a few uh, bad plays. But again, he's a rookie. But at this point. Nolan Carroll is su- playing surprisingly well. He is not a liability out there. He's a guy that,
2: <clears throat>
3: especially <laughs> going into the Buffalo game with a practice squad quarterback, uh, right. you know, he's a guy that I, I'm. I'm not concerned that if the ball is thrown into his area, that he's going to be necessarily giving up a bunch of big plays anymore. Now he could turn around against Buffalo and, you know, uh, revert back to. Uh, his, his previous form that he, he's getting beat a lot, but um, you know the way he's played this season, he, he has shown that I don't know that he's necessarily going to be worth a long-term investment, uh, at least a large um, financial investment. But uh, he, he's shown enough that I think he, he may be worth resigning and and having you know having some good depths back there. But yeah, I mean it's just so weird that. You know, there's several guys like that this year that you look at. And like, I'm not really, you know, you've been concerned about earlier in the season, and you're not concerned about it anymore. Yep.
1: Like uh, Carol, I, uh, I talked this. I, I talked this earlier, and I don't think you were on yet when I did about Carroll. And he is right now, according to Pro Football Focus, who again is getting a lot of notoriety around the league right now. A lot of people are talking about their stats and everything, and Rightfully so, to the point that it at least gives us a rating. Uh, can you take it to the bank that they are dead on right? No, but we, we uh, it at least gives us a way to rate players. And if a guy is scoring really high or really low, you know he's doing either really well or really badly. Um, the guys in the middle, take it for what it's worth, but right now they have Brent Grimes as the sixth best cornerback in the league. They have Nolan Carroll as the 26th. So, when you figure there are 32 teams, two cornerbacks starting on each team, at least 64 starting cornerbacks, and Nolan Carroll is sitting there at 26th, he's doing something right this year. Do we see those plays where he gets beat or he has to cause the pass interference in the end zone because he's getting beat and he doesn't want to let up the touchdown? Yeah, of course we do. We all see him. And they frustrate us, but... Overall, Carroll isn't playing that badly, especially when you take into effect that in with, when players are lining up right now, quarterbacks are staying away from Brent Grimes. They aren't throwing towards him. So all the passes, what was it, two weeks ago? It was like forty passes, and only two went towards the receiver covered by Brent Grimes. Something ridiculous like that against the uh, the Saints. It was something ridiculous that they completely stayed away from Brent Grimes. So, of course, Carroll's going to look like he's giving up more. He's being thrown at more. But I, I really think Carroll is doing well this year. And that's another example of, hey, a guy doesn't come into the league and light it up right away. A guy can take some time to develop, and that's what he's doing. Is he going to be a pro bowler? Probably not ever, but – Does that make him a bad player? No, not
3: necessarily. And somehow I lost my life for Okay. And what his emergence has done, number one, is it allows the two rookies that we drafted more time to get in there and develop. We're not forcing them into action. I mean, you look at the Atlanta Falcons are having to play two rookie corners, uh, and that hurts their secondary simply because uh, they're rookie corners. They're they're learning on the fly, but their their offense or their defense, you know, those guys are going to give up big plays because they're rookies. I mean, you saw uh, the touchdown that Brian Hartline caught against Atlanta. That uh, you know the safety was not over to help. It was Desmond, uh, you know, Desmond Trufant. It uh, was my guy from the draft. You know, he wasn't. Uh, he he let Hartline go by because he 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 stayed in for the flat, and he should have stayed on Hartline. So it's plays like that that are going to give up, but it allows the rookies to kind of be eased into the, the fold, learn learn at, at a pace the team is comfortable with. And two, it does what everyone thought that the rookies were going to do, and that makes a guy like Patterson more extendable now. Um, right. And that's freeing up his contract. That, you know, when the season started, you know, he, he, he was getting a start, and he did have those two interceptions. But as the season started, you're kind of like, well, you've got this money tied up into him, but he he's a guy there we don't really know, you know, he's about the only other guy we can trust at this point. Now that you have a guy that you can trust, you say, you know what, you know, we can develop a nickel corner or you can bring in a guy next year if you're not comfortable with the rookies playing or the, this year's rookies playing the nickel spot, then you can bring in a veteran, but at a cheaper price than what, than what he's going to make. So, um, you know, any time that you have a player that that you weren't expecting much off, step up and contribute heavily, then that's always a great thing for your team because then it allows it, it just gives you opportunities to do other things to improve your team. Um, it, so, does. I'm it, your does. Wife. it does. Yeah, you're right. Does
1: I think that a thing that since we're on the rookies and it kind of shifts away from what you were saying, but since we are on the rookies, one of the things that a lot of people are having issues with right now is that Dion Jordan is just not getting the playing time. They want him to be getting that he should, I've seen people saying that he needs to be out there. He needs to be starting. He needs to be getting 85% of the snaps, 90% of the snaps, something like that. And I, I understand why, because We are seeing him make big plays. He's having an impact when he's out there. But I also think part of that is the team is putting him in the position to have that impact on that one play. He's not somebody who I don't think, and maybe he is, I I don't know. We don't see him in running situations very often. But I don't think he's somebody who's ready to set the edge as a run-stopping defensive end and force that running back back inside to Randy Starks, Paul Solii, or uh, Jared Odrick. So I think that it, it It kind of goes with what you're saying. They're bringing along the rookie slowly. I don't know if he's ready to play yet. Maybe we have to just put him out there and see. But I think that's why you're seeing Deion Jordan not used as much as we probably think he should be at this point.
3: And I think he's a guy that needs more playing time. Simply because he is having an he is having an impact. Right. And I think with 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 Wake getting healthy and getting back out there, I think you'll see more of Deion Jordan. Um, and I think we will see more of Deion Jordan if and when Miami can build a a lead that requires the other team to pass. I mean, we've played one game this season in which the other team, I mean, we pretty much shut down New Orleans' run. Uh, but, again, that's New Orleans, and they passed the ball well. They're a, they're yeah. a, 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 an extremely good team, and, you know, you just do what you can against them. Uh, they're looking really good at this point. But the only thing that we had a lead on that the other team was forced to stop running and throw the ball was Cleveland. And so we saw him play more snaps in that game. I think that if Miami's offense can get on the field, score a lot of points, put the other team in a big enough deficit to where they're having to give up on the run and pass the ball more, then I think we're going to see Deion Jordan more. It's At this point, probably I mean, it's just I, because... I think you're right. Yeah, just because, I mean, when you like Baltimore, it was a close game. They were ahead, so they're going to run the ball a lot, right? And by them running the ball, you've got to have your better run defenders in there, and and, and that's you know that Jordan is not one of your better run defenders at this point. But I think you're going to see, especially now that we're you know we're going to get into, uh, I think you'll see more against Tom Brady because they're going to throw the ball a little more. I think you're going to see him a lot against the Bills because of having a rookie, uh, or not a rookie, but a, a practice squad guy come up and play right. quarterback. That you know you expect him to, to the decisions that he's making to be a little be a little bit slower, uh, therefore giving the pass rush an advantage. So uh, if Jordan's going to start make any more time, playing time, it should be next week. Yep,
1: I think that's probably a good point. Um, And I think your point about Wake is
3: a big thing too
1: because the team is more concentrating right now on filling the hole for Wake. And uh, the obvious answer is, okay, let Deion Jordan play more. But, yeah, you do have to think about the run and all those kinds of things. So you do see Shelby and Vernon more than you see uh, Jordan at this point. But we will – when Wake comes back and now teams are focusing on stopping Wake, you probably do see Jordan get in there more often. So that that's a very valid point, very good point. Um I think uh I think I forgot my next point. So I will bring this up while I try to think of what my next point was. Um Peyton Ted and if you don't follow him on Twitter it's at Peyton Ted and it's just a um comedy parody account of Peyton Manning's head. But uh, his tweet right now is practicing throwing left-handed for the second half against the Jaguars. I know everybody is picking on the Jaguars right now. I just thought that one was kind of funny. (laughs) Practicing throwing left-handed for the second half. So Peyton will be out there throwing left-handed apparently. Uh, (laughs) Not really, people. Um, speaking of that, do you think that the Jaguars can cover the twenty-eight points?
3: Well, it is Chad Henney. It is
1: going to be Chad Henney.
3: So <laughs> take that for what it's worth.
1: It, you know, it could go one way. It could go really, really well, or it could go really, really badly. <laughs> That's your two options.
3: I think that. I think Vaughn Miller is still suspended for this game, correct? Uh, Yes. Okay. With, unfortunately, Joke will having a season-ending ankle injury. And Their offensive line is kind of a weak point now. But if Denver has a weakness, it's their defense. I mean, their defense yep. is, not, is not... Their defense is being helped out by the fact that the offense is just putting up a lot of points. And they can kind of tee off on the pass, which is going to happen this game. Let's just be honest. I don't think Jaguars are going to stop Broncos' offense, but Great. if 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 that if the Jaguars' offense can at least somewhat keep pace and keep it a relatively even game for the most part in in, in the first half, and by that I mean if they can keep it within a two-score game. Then I think they've got a chance to to uh, cover that spread simply because I think the, the, the end for defense is, is not as good as they're being made out to be. Uh, it's easy to look good on defense when you're up thirty-five to nothing or whatever you know. So if, if, if the Broncos come out and just completely, completely uh, uh, put it on them in the first in the first quarter and they're up, you know, three touchdowns. I mean, it's just it's going to be over. They're not they're not going to have a chance because that defense is going to tee off on the Jaguars, and the Jaguars just don't have the horses now to 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 get you a know, shootout like that. But if it's you know if it's the first half and it's if at the end of the half it's 28 to 14 or something, then yeah, I think you can, I think you can kind of keep up. But the I, I don't know. Broncos I, I
1: are. The Broncos are first against the run this year. They are thirty-second against the pass. So now, granted, well, part of that is also a five-hundred-yard performance from uh, Tony Romo, but
3: well, I mean, that's they are the giving up for things one dimensional. Yep, I mean you're not is. running the ball when you're down to the sure. touchdowns. So that's
2: which goes back to the point I that ball. I
1: didn't make earlier. James, did you just say eyeball?
2: No, I was, I was gonna interject something but then you started talking. Oh, go ahead.
1: Since James was, is so on I've the
2: also see, I've also seen uh Chad Henney is a uh is a fantasy sleeper in a couple places this week because the Denver um pass defense has been so poor and yep. they figure that uh, Jacksonville will be trying to throw it to catch up. All game long. They do have
1: Justin Blackman
3: back now, so it's
1: definitely possible.
2: Yeah. Um, he's, had some, he's had some big number games, so it's possible. But
1: um, that that was the point that I forgot that I couldn't remember as, before I went into the Peyton Ted tweet. Um, that is also why we're seeing these sacks. This is why we're seeing these uh, – lack of running plays for the Dolphins, especially in the second half. I mean, these guys are – they're they are doing well in the first half, and then in the two losses, they got down double digits in the second half and had to go to just passing. And then all of a sudden, defenses know, okay, they're only going to pass, especially when you have Terrell Suggs and um, Doomerville – as your pass rushers, they're just going to say go. They know we're not running the ball anymore because we're trying to pass to keep up with what the uh, opposing offense is doing. And so that—that that, that is a portion of why, as a team, we are seeing so many sacks because we're passing the ball so much. So, yes, we need to do better. We need to run block better. We need to hand off the ball more, and we need to pass block better. But – at the same time, when you are passing that often, you're gonna see some
3: sacks.
2: So um
1: that was uh that was just
3: my and thought I think Miami has abandoned I, I think they've abandoned the run a little too early. Probably uh, even even against even against the, the Saints. We got the ball first in the second half. It's twenty one to ten. So it is not it is not a a game that's completely out of portion. I mean, if we score a touchdown on that first drive, it's a four-point game. It's a game that we're still in. Whether or not we, we are still in at the end is not is not the relevant point. What is is that even though we were down, what seemed like a lot, that we just stopped running the ball, and we were running the ball fairly well against them. And um, even though the run wasn't successful against Baltimore, um, I mean they're run they're running the attack wasn't as successful um, against us in terms of yards per carry. They were less than four yards per carry, but they ran the ball a lot more. They they just, right. they stuck with it and stuck with it. And eventually, you know, it, it, they were able to score that way. Um, I just think at times that uh, one thing I read in our he says that a lot of our runs are coming from the shotgun formation, that we don't have to lead. Uh, we're not going from the eye formation. He thinks that's hurting the run game. I was just thinking about it a the minute ago, I don't know that we've run a lot of a lot of draw plays that I can remember. Um when you've got a pass rush like what Baltimore has and they were coming after Tannehill a lot, why not throw a draw play in there and let you know, let let that aggressive defense uh you know, let let that aggressive defense play uh, work against them. So, you know, I, I, I think the, the, some of the issues with the running game fall back on the running backs that we've mentioned, but I think some of it also falls on the coaches for, for, one, giving up on it so quickly, and, two, just not just not playing, uh, you know, playing well, um, using a lot of, of formations that are going to be conducive to, to running the ball well. So, um I mean, even though we don't have a traditional fullback, Charles Clay's not that bad as a lead blocker. Try him out. And if we need to run yep. the ball, we'll go pick up a guy like Javorski Lane or Evan Rodriguez. I mean, we don't need you know that extra safety right now or whatever. We've got to go out and pick up a guy that can block if we're having trouble running the ball. I think once Miami gets running the ball, I think it's offense can beat any team out there. Um, but right now we're not. And, and, and you're right, it's limiting what our offense can do because – and like we mentioned, uh, like we mentioned, uh, Keith and I were talking about on Wednesday night, is that, uh, you know, this Tannehill's had to carry this team. This this team is three, has three wins right now because of Ryan Tannehill. Uh, it's not, you know, we're not losing games because of him. We're, we're in games because of Ryan Tannehill and how well right. he's playing. If we still had a guy like Chad Henney or somebody who was not as good, we might be able to five at this point. So he's keeping us in games, but he's having to do it by himself. He's dragging this team on, you know, two, three wins, Once the uh, even with the offensive line and all the other issues. Once, once they get things figured out and once the running game gets going, look out because we're going to be a more complete offense, and we've shown that our quarterback can, can make enough plays. Now that he's getting some help, he's going to make even more plays and, you know, we're going to be back to being a playoff contender.
1: Absolutely, we are coming up on the end of the show, so I am going to let you guys go around the horn and have uh, final thoughts or for James' first thought. Uh, <laughs> Duke, you got anything else on your mind? Uh, no, not at this point. James, I'll give it over to you.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna go get some sleep.
1: Okay, that sounds like a plan.
2: <laughs>
1: I will say. Uh, Enjoy this weekend. Obviously, it's a low-stress weekend for the Dolphins fans because we don't have a game. Um, Check out some of the other teams. Check out the Bills, the Patriots, the Jets, uh, everybody else who's playing this week. Um, I'm going to watch probably the Broncos game because I want to see if Chad Henney is able to keep the the Jaguars in the game or if uh, we do see Peyton trying to go for eight touchdown passes in a game for the first time in league history. So it'll be an interesting weekend. Um, enjoy it. We do finally start division play next week, so it'll be interesting. We have Bill's week.
2: Hello? Hello. Hey Chris, can you hear me? Yes. I think we lost Kevin. I think Kevin dropped off, so I'll go ahead and end the show since I've I've got the the, the board up. Oh, I'm gone too. All
3: right. Thanks everyone for listening and good night.
0: You knew the risks when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested, you could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure, you were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by NHTSA. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.